how can we trick cancer cells into revealing new antigens for immunotherapy? How do we find those antigens? That's some of the questions we'll be tackling in this episode of the Cell Therapy Podcast. Stay tuned. Hi everyone, and welcome to this inaugural episode of the Cell Therapy Podcast from Gilead Kite, focusing on hot topics within cell therapy research. My name is Mike Barnkop, I'm a doctor and immunologist, and during the next six episodes, I'll be your host in a whirlwind tour of what cellular therapy looks like from a Scandinavian perspective. We'll be interviewing some of the top researchers in the Nordics to hear their perspective on the future of cellular therapy. Today, I have the great pleasure of having Professor Sine Reger Heldrup joining. Thank you for coming on today, Sina. Thank you very much for inviting me. So let me just start by introducing Sina. She's a professor at the Technical University of Denmark, where she heads the Experimental and Translational Immunology Unit. Her research spans a wide array of projects aimed at understanding and improving the function of tumor-infiltrating lymphocytes. And uh, today we'll be talking about, and I hope you don't mind me saying this, sort of classical immunology Uh, the good old stuff. <laughs> How do we introduce a good T-cell response uh, against cancer? Um, and I hope we can also talk a bit about where you think the field is going and uh, maybe some of your more recent projects and research as well. So before we get started, I was hoping you could tell us a bit about yourself, um, your career, uh, and, and sort of what got you hooked into research in the first place. As you said, I'm currently uh, holding a position as professor at the Danish Technical University in the Department of Health Technology and, uh, and also have a section head of the experimental and translational immunology. And really throughout my research career, I have focused on understanding how the interplay is between cancer cell and immune cells, and especially how immune cells can recognize cancer cells and how we can sort of uh, improve uh, the, their capacity to, to see and react towards cancer cells. So, um, so to go back a little bit, uh, I, I studied uh, pharmacy uh, at the Danish University, uh, Copenhagen University. And then uh, and at that time, I was actually very fascinated about organic chemistry, et cetera. Um, but then during my studies, I figured I liked uh, much more the interaction uh, between cells and different uh, organs and, and more like the biological aspects of how our body is functioning. Uh, so I studied uh, human biology and uh, and really got fascinating in immunology and also in cancer because they are both very complex fields. Uh, both uh, cancer is a very heterogeneous disease uh, that can develop in many different uh, ways. And immunology is, is also a very complex uh, system. Uh, so the interaction between cancer cells and, and immunology is to me kind of the ultimate challenge. And, uh, and I think this was very fascinating uh, to work with. I think it's also been really a fantastic journey to be in this field of immunotherapy because when I first started doing research, it was really in its infancy. So, uh, so there were some early studies uh, demonstrating that, for example, IL-2 could be used uh, to treat uh, patients with melanoma. And there were also some of the early attempts uh, from 
the Rosenberg lab at NIH doing adaptive transfer uh, with two infiltrating lymphocytes to patients, then uh, showing a complete uh, remission. So, um, so these these sort of signatures were very encouraging, but generally people probably didn't believe that much in immunotherapy. So it's been a fantastic uh, journey to to hook along on that uh, field that has just exploded. And some of your interests revolve around the identification of tumor epitopes. So you and your group uh, recently published an interesting paper examining an untapped pool for tumor epitopes, which are human endogenous retroviruses or HERVs. Um, can you tell us a bit more about the paper and, and, and how you guys got this idea? Yes, I can certainly do that. So, um, yeah, so this this paper is a collaboration of, of a collaborative uh, effort, which I think in essence, uh, many research projects is these days. Uh, and, and here we collaborated primarily with uh, Kirsten Brandbeck, who's a clinician and a hematologist also, as you, uh, but at the Hospital in Copenhagen. So uh, Kirsten is, is very focused on uh, demethylation agents and epigenetic therapies in general, and also in the context um, of, uh, of cancer, and in this case, it was myeloid dysplastic uh, syndromes that we studied. So it has been demonstrated in literature that by treating uh, cancer cells with uh, epidemic modulation, such as uh, these demethylating agents, uh, that can lead to a, a substantial change in the epigenetic landscape and therefore upregulation of antigens that are normally uh, closed in healthy tissues. Um, so, and, and those types of uh, proteins or gene segments uh, are also these human endogenous retroviruses. So, so we we kind of um, discussed that this would be really interesting to study whether these could in fact be recognized by T cells and form sort of a reservoir of, of antigen that you could actually sort of by demand upregulate in cancer cells uh, based on, on these uh, epigenetic modification uh, treatments. So that's what we tried to, uh, to explore and that's, that's kind of how it started. So, so um, these HRVs, it's, it's a lot easier to say than human endogenous retrovirus. <laughs> um, they, 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 you write in the paper that actually they consist of 8% of the human genome. That's quite a lot. Yes. And, um, and, and you focus in on, on 66 uh, specific HRVs. Um, uh, why these specifically? Yeah, we focused on these specifically because they were at the time previous published to be uh, actually uh, transcribed and translated into protein and, and for being a target of, of a T cell as, as we aimed to uh, find in this case those herbs that could be targeted for T cell recognition that requires that there's actually a protein being generated. This protein doesn't have to be functional. It's also sufficient that it could, for example, be unfunctional proteins or smaller protein fragments, but they need to have a, a, a sufficient size to be actually then processed through the, uh, the normal sort of antigen presentation uh, pathway during uh, endoplasmic plasmatic reticulum and then loaded onto MAT class one and presented on the cell surface. So, um, so we had this, or there was this description already available in literature that these 66 herbs uh, should have such uh, characteristics. 
So, but I think it's actually also a major limitation of this study and there's still a major gap in our knowledge is that it's still not really clear uh, yet uh, which of them of this large pool of serfs that, that actually we carry around in our genome are actually being uh, translated into protein and also what their functions are. So, um, so that's certainly an, an, another area of investigation. Definitely. And, but you use a very sort of elegant way to, to not only look at sort of one or two um, epitopes from, from each of these 66, you actually, you actually generate a, over a thousand different tetramers uh, to try and explore which ones are, are sort of found in, in, in patients. And uh, I think that's, that's quite, uh, used this very brilliant method. And I, and I know you've published on it before, but could you tell us a bit more about how you did that? Yeah. So, uh, so this is, this strategy that 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 we applied here is is was also kind of the first time where we really sort of used this method for for a larger screening, and uh, and what we have developed a, a while back and published in 2016 is that we could um, attach a small. Uh, code to uh, to MHC molecules that are then multimerized so that they can interact with the T cell, and this code is forming basically a small uh, DNA code that can be uh, read by sequencing. Uh, so it's also what is called a DNA barcode, and I think. In recent years, DNA barcodes has been more and more applied now in, in platforms for single cell analysis. So it's been more sort of a, a, a common term now. But uh, at the time that we initiated this, this was still uh, quite rarely used uh, to describe cellular interactions. So um, so the, the beauty of this strategy is that that normally if you would describe a cellular interaction, uh, one would use a strategy, for example, like flow cytometry, where you could then dis can discriminate uh, by a fluorescent label that requires that each of your reagent carries a given fluorescent label that you can then segregate, uh, for example, with, with yeah. flow cytometry. But, but in this case, uh, when you have a DNA barcode, you can make uh, hundreds of thousands of different codes Simply based on on DNA, uh, and these uh, and all these elements, you can then sequence afterwards. So you can sort cells of a certain characteristics, and then based on the sequencing of these DNA barcodes, describe if these cells were actually interacting uh, with uh, with a target that had the certain characteristics that you have sort of um, identified or presented to the cell, if you want. So, so one of the things that I think is, uh, is is great in this paper is that you mentioned that herbs are sort of naturally upregulated following treatment with sort of standard chemotherapy, I guess, against these myeloid cancers. Um, and you talk about de-repressing the the herbs. Um, can you you mentioned it before, but can you explain a bit more what you think is going on here and, and how it works? Yeah, so so I mean there are these drugs that are modifying the the epigenetic landscapes of of, of cancers or cells in general, but primarily of of, of cancer, um, and they, for example, can be these. Uh, they're, I mean, generally termed demethylation uh, agents or uh, DNMTI inhibitors. So. Um, 
So these are normally, I mean, traditionally a thought of to open up areas uh, where tumor suppressor genes are located that are maybe uh, down-regulated uh, based on epigenetic mechanisms during the progression of cancer. But then as an as sort of as an add-on to that, it, it has been demonstrated that also other areas are affected and are upregulated uh, or the gene expression of these gene elements are upregulated. Uh, and that, for example, is these human endogenous retroviruses. There's also a category of, of antigens that are called cancer testis antigens, and we actually also look at those in this paper. Those are antigens that are proteins that are normally expressed during fetal development and also are sometimes expressed in, in, uh, in, in regions of the testis. Um, but they do not have a role in in the rest of, of, our, of our human body, let's say, and in fully developed tissues, the expression is, is then lost. And, and the way that expression is lost is by, uh, by closing it through epigenetic mechanisms. So basically what these drugs do, it kind of opens the lock for expression for some areas of our genome that have been silenced during the cellular development. And, and in the paper, you um, you look at I think 20, 27 patients and a number of, of healthy controls that match them, and and find uh, T cells that are specific for these uh, herbs. Um, and do you find any overlap between sort of the epitopes that the T cells are specific for, or is it individual for from patient to patient? Yeah, no, we do see that there that there are some herbs that are more frequently recognized uh, than others, and I and I think that's also one of sort of the major now take homes is that we know a bit more about what what fraction of human endogenous retroviruses that is potentially interesting for T cell recognition, whereas others are probably irrelevant. Um, and uh, so there are definitely some commonalities and um, and therefore some would likely be more relevant targets uh, than others. It also seemed like there, there was a difference between the observations uh, of T cell recognition that we could see in the patients and and at the low level of TISA recognition that we could also observe in healthy donors. So that also requires further confirmation, but it at least suggests that there is some uh, cancer-specific element that, that can be addressed here, uh, which is obviously important for, for any type of cancer therapy. Yeah, and, and, and that was actually going to be a question if you were worried about any sort of a bystander killing of, of healthy cells uh, uh, when you when, when you use this. If, so say you were used to use this um, in, uh, in in patients and then come in with sort of a, a drug that enhances the T cells, mm. for example. Yeah, I think that that certainly I would be worried about that. One should always be worried about that. I think that's kind of the major uh, seal of most cancer treatment and, and uh, is to find targets that are uh, fully specific uh, for cancer cells and not present in, in healthy tissues. Uh, but I think that uh, that possibly within this type of, of antigens or with these genes, uh, there might be sort of a, a sweet spot where both combining uh, an induction of the expression uh, with, with drugs that are then uh, primarily um, targeting cells that are dividing, uh, such as cancer cells, and then maybe finding area 
as of, of these uh, human dirtiness retroviruses that are specifically expressed in cancer, that, that we could find regions that would be cancer specific. And I think our data points in that direction, but, but certainly there is, there's much, much more work to be done to, um, to understand that further. Uh, so, so you mentioned that you actually see upregulation of, of cancer testis antigens as well. So do you think this would work in, in, in different solid tumors? In, uh, I think it's it's likely that it could also work in in solid tumors. Uh, we, um, uh, we we you can definitely. I think it's not. It's the reason that we started out here with hematological malignancies is that this treatment exercised in is, is standard of care at least of a subfraction of these patients with MDS. So um, so there. Are, so it's not something that patients with solid tumors has traditionally been treated with, um, but that is now being investigated in a number of clinical trials, the combination of uh, various types of epigenetic modification uh, drugs and then uh, immune therapies such as, for example, checkpoint inhibition uh, to sort of uh, boost the T cell response that are present in, in such patients. So I think uh, from hopefully both seeing the clinical outcome of those trials, but also investigating on a, on a cellular and molecular level what is going on, we will, we will be able to, to understand that better. That sounds, yeah, that sounds very exciting. Zooming out a bit, what, what do you think the big picture implications of your findings? Should this, how should this be sort of taken on? Should we treat uh, these patients uh, with checkpoint inhibitors at the same time as these derepressors or... Mm. Do you think this could be used to identify TCRs that could be used for, for doctor's yeah, therapies? Yeah, or? yeah. Yeah. So I think the main finding for this paper is in fact that that you that these Earths can serve as T cell targets on a large scale. So so I think we actually have a pool of antigens here that that we can target. But I think what we need to learn more is basically how to then uh, best upregulate them uh, with the with these types of epigenetic drugs. What should be the sequence of treatment? Uh, should it be like completely like parallel, for example, immune therapy, checkpoint inhibition, and and epigenetic modification, or or should there be sort of a, a certain uh, time span uh, in between such therapies? Uh, those are questions that we still don't fully understand. And then, uh, and then, indeed, as, as we discussed before, focus it on some of the herbs that are both uh, described to be recognized by T cells, but are also demonstrated to be truly upregulated with these treatments. Because there's also a, a great uh, variety of, of upregulation that we see. Some herbs are only minorly or not upregulated at all, whereas other herbs can be strongly upregulated uh, with treatments. So we need to find a pool of herbs that, that responds very well to epigenetic modification. And then I think those would be interesting targets uh, for T-cell therapy. So switching gears a bit, uh, um, I should mention that, that you and your group was recently awarded a very large grant to study CAR T-cells. Um, and, and I was hoping maybe you could tell us a bit about your plans and, and what you sort of, what, what the big goal is here. So we just received from the Novo Nordisk Foundation uh, one of the grants that they call their challenge uh, grants or challenge initiatives, <clears throat> where our the challenge that that we would like to to work on is uh, to see if you can have 
in vivo delivery uh, of immune receptors uh, to T cells. And this is, of course, have a large applicability in, in CAR T cell uh, therapy because uh, a lot of the hurdles of, <clears throat> of what is um, one of the major hurdles today for CAR treatment is the manufacturing process and, uh, and all the handling that is required when you have to take a large blood sample from a patient, introduce a receptor, and then uh, purify those T cells and give them back to patients. So uh, a way to circumvent that process is if we can make a um, particle that can deliver the gene element directly to T cells uh, in the bloodstream. Um, and this is, uh, yeah, this is what we would like to, to try to do um, in this grant. So that, 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 as I said, where we will use uh, CAR T cells as, as a model system. And also because this is a, a very, um, this, this is a clinical relevant strategy where such uh, new inventions would be highly needed. Uh, but it's of course also potentially relevant for a lot of other uh, treatments that you can think of both in the immune therapy space, such as TCR gene transfer or simply just transfer of, of various or of immune genes uh, to T cells that would up their function. Um, but um, but this, uh, it's a good uh, CAR T cell is a good uh, starting point. Well, that sounds like a very smart idea because uh, from personal experience, I can say it's, it's a lot of work in trying to set up sort of a production facility for, for manufacturing CAR T, especially if you want to put it in, in, in patients at the end of the day. So it'd be yes. very, very um, nice to be able to give a drug directly to the patient and I guess use them as a, the incubator instead. I should say that the paper we discussed is called Human Endogenous Retroviruses from a Reservoir of T-Cells target in hemological cancers. And the first author is Sunil Kumar Sanai and was published in Nature Communications in 2020. And we'll make sure to, to link the paper in, in the show notes to the paper to the, any listener who would want to uh, dwell into that. Sina, before we, we round off the show, we'd like to ask a few sort of uh, rapid fire questions that uh, we like to ask all our guests. And I'll ask you to just say the first thing that pops into your mind. Okay, are you, are you ready? Yeah, we'll give it a try. So what's the best immune cell, B or T cell? Definitely T cells. <laughs> oh yeah, that's what we like to hear. But you, you know, you, you know, B cells—they've really made a comeback in this pandemic. Yeah, no, I, I think, I think, yeah, you should have the short answer, right? B T cells are <laughs> closest to my heart. I've been both are very, yeah, yeah. So if you had the question number two is if you had a hundred million kroners, what would you use it for? Uh, yeah, that's a more tricky. <laughs> that's a more tricky one. Um, I, I mean, obviously, one of the projects that has actually uh, lied close to my heart is luckily what we just got funded from uh, from the Novo Nordisk Foundation now because it's it's of course also a very challenging project, right? So so um, and uh, and and there's also a big chance that it will fail. To be honest, that's how it is with with research uh, and especially what we call like high risk, high gain type of research. But that's also where we make the the major breakthroughs. So um, so I think uh, I think I really would like to spend more efforts on exploring these in vivo initiatives because I think that's that's where the future is. Um, and what is the method that every young scientist or researcher should be doing or drooling over right now? Uh, I think the 
these single cell approaches are are really providing a, a lot of information uh, and in many fields, not only in immunology. So I think, and I think we can read out a lot, both at DNA and RNA level, also on protein level, expression, surface characteristics, uh, all of that on a single cell measure. So, but uh, it, um, yeah, so I think that's a really good method, but it's also challenging. It requires a lot of bioinformatics skills as well. That's, that, that's where we will learn a lot. So the final question is something that I'm going to ask the next guest that we have on, um, which is, uh, what, what do you think is, is one of the hardest questions or most interesting questions we, think we have within the field right now? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. <laughs> let, let me think. Yeah, I mean, I, I still think that in general for cancer, and I think that also holds for, I mean, for cellular therapy and CAR T-cell therapy, is how do we overcome this issue of uh, cancer heterogeneity? I think that's um, that is something that uh, that I would like to raise and have their opinion on. Okay, well, Sinit, thank you so much for taking your time to to talk with me today. This has been the Cell Therapy Podcast for today, and uh, again, thank you to our guest Sinit Regahedlop for taking the time to chat. And uh, we'll make sure to link to all the papers that we discussed in the show today in the, in the show notes. Um, don't forget to subscribe and, and tell your friends. Bye. Bye.